Welcome to the H2O Church Wright State Podcast. H2O Church at Wright State University is a community church focused on sharing God's good news of salvation in Jesus Christ with college students. We typically read through one chapter or sometimes a smaller portion of a book of the Bible each week. And then on Sundays, we come together to discuss what we've read in house churches. Once a month, Pastor Joshua Ortega, an H2O staff member, or another leader preaches from this week's chapter, and their teaching is recorded and uploaded as our podcast. We invite you to journey with us through our series rooted in the perfect and beautiful Word of God. That last song that we just sang, like, just spoke to me so much. Um, I didn't plan out what, with these guys, what I was teaching on, and we didn't plan any of the music together, but sometimes you, you get together and you're like, oh, wow, okay, God, um, Something amazing is happening here. So thank you, band, for sharing that song. Um, I really needed the words of that, and I just felt God really speaking to me. I could tell you a side teaching for about two hours of what, what I mean by that, but that's not important. The important piece is that um, God just really used that in my life, and I'm kind of laughing and crying at the same time. Uh, <laughs> Um, God speaking to me, being like, I see you, and uh, I know what you're going through. And so, isn't that the beautiful thing about being in the presence of God, is um, sometimes in life, it's kind of quiet and kind of dry with the Lord, to be honest. But then there's these other seasons where you know God is speaking to you, and you know that God is working in your heart. Uh, and it's just uh, so beautiful. And he, of course, wants us to keep faith as we're uh, going through this journey with him. But no doubt in our minds as we go through this journey with him, we sense his presence working in our lives. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 mostly. We're going to go to a couple different places if you want to turn to Ephesians 1. You can. And I know that you're going through a Romans series, but we're going to take a small break. Um, are you in Romans 7 or 8 right now? Okay, thank you. And Romans is filled with all this wonderful salvation theology, how to be saved. Some would say as a new Christian, it could be theology and about salvation and a very important core doctrine that we have in our H2O churches. So let me pray and we'll dive in. Lord, Again, we thank you for your presence here. Lord, we thank you. Uh, you're working in our midst. Lord, we are so grateful to um, be in your presence. There is joy in the house of the Lord. When we gather together and just talk to you and sing to you, what an amazing blessing and what an amazing privilege. Lord, we love you. And we worship you. And as we dive into your scriptures today, we pray that you would speak to us corporately, but you would also speak to us individually through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, okay, so in college, I've been doing college ministry for a long time, and it's near and dear to my heart because I gave my life to Christ when I was in college. Yeah, I came to college. Uh, running away from God and thinking that I was going to go to heaven because I was a good person. 
And that's an important thing to note because most of the religions of our world, one way or another, probably believe a similar doctrine that we're going to heaven by being good people. And I was one of those people. And I really wasn't a very good person, but I wanted to believe that I was. So when I was confronted with the gospel and someone shared the good news with me, um, it was so intriguing to me. And it was just like God was choosing me and speaking to me. And one of the questions that they asked me when I was a freshman at BGSU, these two people came up and they were sharing the gospel and they said, do you believe that you can know for sure that you're going to heaven? Let me repeat that question that they posed to me. Maybe you've heard that before. It's an important question. Do we believe that we can know for sure that we're going to heaven? I, of course, said, no, you cannot know that. And they took me to this passage of Scripture in 1 John 5, 11 through 13, that says this. And the witness is this. The testimony is this. Those that have Christ have life. Those that do not have Christ do not have life. I tell you these things who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And when I saw that passage for the first time and my, my eyes gazed upon the Scriptures, which I didn't open up very much, and know the simplicity of the Gospel is God wants us to know if we have Christ, if we have received Christ, that we put our faith in Christ, we have life. We have eternal life. If we do not have Christ, and there's no covering for our sins, and we're going to pay for our sins ourselves, we do not have life. John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That was so earth-shattering to me that God wants me to know where I'm spending eternity and what my standing is with Him. Like most religions, I believed if I get like a B- minus in spirituality, maybe I'll get the curve and I'll get to go to heaven. But if I have a C, oh boy, I don't know what's going to happen to me. If I have an F spiritually, okay, now I'm in trouble types of things. And, and most of us think of ourselves as college students as a grade. What is an acceptable grade before our professor? And we can think that way with God. But God wants to adopt us into His family. And in Ephesians chapter 1, um, my two older children are adopted into my family. And then we had a third biological son. And so my wife and I, Mary Lynn, we've been married 24 years. And about, yep, 22 years ago, we adopted our first son. And so adoption is near and dear to us. Um, this is a long time ago when I think of reading these passages about my little kids and how much I adore them and how much I love being a dad and it brings so much joy to me. Now my youngest just got his driver's license on Friday. So I have three kids and three uh, kids on my uh, car insurance, which is very expensive. Um, but I gladly pay it because I love them. Okay, so in, first, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, let's start in verse 4. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to 
adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. If we look at verse 4 there, it tells us that God wants to adopt us in to make us holy and blameless. Now, if I ask any of you in this room right now, just for some participation, but you don't have to raise your hand. If I said, have any of us lived a holy and blameless life? Uh, No. If I tallied up my sins, which I've tried to do at times in a time of repentance, I'll pull out a, a legal pad and start writing down the sins that I've committed in a time of confession with the Lord. If you've ever done that, it's extremely humbling. It's extremely sobering to come before a holy God and write down all the sins that you can calculate or tabulate or you know, contemplate in your mind. It's very, very humbling. But yet the Bible says right there that he destined us to be holy and blameless. So that doesn't make sense, does it? When we look at Ephesians chapter, uh, or chapter 1, verse 4, and I'm reading out of the NASB, I'm not sure what your translation says, but it's trying to say he wants us to be perfect. He wants to make us perfect and holy so that we can go to heaven. How in the world could we have this standing with him? Now, if I asked you if you've lived a holy and blameless life, you, you might say no. If I asked some of you, are you presently right now in a standing with God, holy and blameless? That would change the, the question, wouldn't it? And many of you would raise your hand and you'd say, no, not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ did on the cross, He has made me, undeservedly so, holy and blameless so that when I die, I am now able to go into this place of perfection because God made me holy and blameless, not out of our own merit. And why did he do all this? Look at verse 5. It's actually just the end of verse 4 in my translation here. Going into 5, it says, In love. God is in love with you this morning. Isn't that a wonderful two words? He loves us. He wanted to adopt you into his family because he's passionate about you. If you ever go through your day or you're going through your struggles and you're going through life and you have some negative thoughts creep into your life and you say, man, does God really love me? Does he care for me? It says, in love, he wanted to adopt you into his family. I love my children so much. Uh, Before I even became a dad, people said, oh, you're going to have a new understanding of God's love when you have your own children. And I'd be like, okay, yeah, I hope so. Oh my goodness, yes. When you have your own children, if that's God's plan for your life, you would defend them and you would support them and you would pour out love on them and show a kindness toward them uh, that's unimaginable. And it says that in love, he adopted us into his family. I don't encourage you as a pastor to see um, any you know, R-rated movies, but I want to reference a couple. Um, if you've seen the movie Taken, where Liam Neeson, uh, his daughter is stolen from him, and he goes on this rampage to win his daughter back or to get his daughter back, and he brings a lot of destruction 
to bring his daughter back. There's a female version of that movie. And again, I'm not encouraging you to see this, but it's called Kidnap. And Halle Berry loses her son. And someone kidnaps this little son. And she goes to great lengths to bring her child back into her fold. When someone comes in to steal your child or to hurt your child, you, you know, as a mom, you would go into like mama bear mode or this father that is so eager to protect their children. And it's interesting that I just referenced that we just sang this song about our strong defender. God is our defender. And just like in the movies that these people go to great lengths out of the love to save and to hold on to the children, God feels that way toward you. He has this love and he has this defense of you. So what I wanted to share also here, and we're going to come back into Ephesians, and this is going to be really important later on in my teaching about these couple passages, because I had a very difficult time in my life in my 20s that made me doubt these things. I had a crisis of faith that, that really disturbed me. And I went into this season of studying the Scriptures harder than I had up until that point in my life. This incredible hunger to dive into God's Word that no one was asking me to do or telling me to do, but it was a hunger that I just had to understand what was going on in my own life in this crisis that I was in that I will come back to in a little bit. But I'd like you to turn over to John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, God is referring to this standing that we have with Christ. And here's kind of the big idea and the point of today's message that I want to share with you. If you have been adopted into God's family and you have put your faith in Christ, you have the assurance of salvation. I want you to think about that term or write that term down, the assurance of salvation. Another way to put it in other doctrine is called the perseverance of the saints. And those are kind of just fancier terms to answer this question. Can you lose your salvation? Is that a question that you've ever wondered about or, um, or studied out before? Can one become a Christian? Can one be saved? And then can they become unsaved? Can they lose their salvation? And the answer to that clearly in Scripture is no. We believe here firmly that once you're saved, you're always saved. Now, in our own lives, we work that out, and sometimes there's some crisis of faith and some doubt. Maybe we've even seen some people. Maybe we have people in our family or friends that are dear to us, and they seem to be running so well with the Lord, and at some point they had this crisis of faith, and they left the faith. And maybe they've even said things and you've wondered like, oh my goodness, was this person a Christian ever? Okay, these are the real life questions that bring us to these theological terms and these theological questions. And let's look in John chapter 10 in verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, but you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. These bear witness of me. Verse 26. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. 
My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them. That sounds like a very permanent statement. I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This passage here in John chapter 10 reminds us something very clear. There's a very definitive point in our lives where we cross from death to life. When we understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, that we're not going to heaven on our own merit because of our effort. And we see the cross and we say, that is a gift for me. I receive Jesus. I put my faith in him and I believe in him. And I sincerely in my heart want to be a follower of Jesus the rest of my life. The Bible says at that moment, you are sealed for heaven. You are now in the Father's hands and no one can snatch that, us out of his hands. We're in Jesus's hands. We're in the Father's hands. What in the world could pull us out of God's hands if we're held tightly? Nothing can oppose God. Nothing can overtake God. And this is so incredibly comforting because sometimes maybe we need to be saved from ourselves. Maybe we're the one trying to like crawl out of the hands of God. And he says, not even ourselves can snatch ourselves out of the hand of God. It brings us such an incredible encouragement that God, in his love and his kindness, wanted to give us this eternal security. So these phrases that we have in our, in our church and in our, our theological terms of this assurance of salvation, God wants you to be sure. He wants you to have an assurance, not in yourself, but in what He has done. This perseverance of the saints means the, the perseverance isn't our own perseverance, but God's perseverance and what He's working in our lives to give us this eternal security. I had a great mentor of mine. His name was Pastor Steve. Pastor Steve was one of the most eloquent guys I ever knew. He was a pastor in Colorado. Many of us go to these leadership trainings in the summer, uh, these summer programs, and he ran that for about 10 years when I was a young Christian. Steve won uh, oratory contests when he was young. He was an incredible communicator. He had such a great passion for the church and a great passion for the word. And when he spoke, it was just, it was just hanging on every word of his. And he grew his church to be large in this leadership training program under him. This is actually right before Daryl Phillips, who many of you know, who's a great love of ours in this church and a great help here. Daryl used to lead that leadership training. And this Pastor Steve handed off the leadership training program to Daryl Phillips. And Pastor Steve, at one point in his life, decided he did not want to be faithful to his wife any longer. He committed adultery. When we uh, pursued him and pressured him on that decision, he would not repent. He actually said, I don't even know if I want to be a Christian anymore. 
And over these couple years that just absolutely broke our hearts and we pursued Pastor Steve, he divorced his wife, he left his family, he moved to this other place, and whenever I'd see him on social media, he was speaking as if he was agnostic or atheist. And it was just absolutely devastating to my faith. And I remember as we would pray for Steve, and we would try to love on him, and we would reach out to him, and he married this other woman that was not in the, in the Christian faith. We wondered, what, like every normal, logical Christian would think, like, what in the heck happened? Was Steve ever a Christian? Was Steve uh, really a believer? And what is going on in, uh, in Steve's life? It was such a, a big deal to all of us that we, we scoured the Scriptures. And you, you look into the Scriptures at times like this, and what we see in Scriptures, there's a, a little reference to this in 1 John, where it says, we didn't know that they weren't of us until they went out from us. And that passage is really saying, how do any of us know that the other person is saved until we see the course of one's life? Because really, most of us are going to fall into these three categories. We're saved, and we're listening to the Holy Spirit, and we're walking with Him our whole life. There's others that we're going to encounter that are not saved yet, and we don't know if they'll ever come to Christ. And then there's this other category of people that are saved, but they're presently rebelling from the Lord. And I really kind of see in, in experience, in just real life, practical life, maybe there's some people in your life that kind of come into these categories where like, yeah, I think that they're saved and they're sincerely walking with the Lord and there's fruit there. There's other people that are walking, they were walking with the Lord, but now they're in this place of rebellion and we hope and pray that they come back to the Lord. Maybe 10 years, maybe 20 years down the road they will. And then there's those that maybe appeared to be Christian or they've never confessed Christ and they never did really have the Spirit inside of them. And we just trust and we thank God that He knows the hearts of men and women. He is the one that sorts this out for all of us. And we only have this temporary view of what is going on, but we all just come to Him with a sincere heart and we say, God, you, you see my heart and you see my devotion to you and I want to walk with you and I want to continue to walk in the Holy Spirit with you. You know, in the, in the theological world, there's this thing called tulip and it's from uh, the Calvinists and John Calvin. And I'm not going to kind of get into this side note of Calvinist theology or election and it's a little bit more complicated, but the emphasis today is on this this last point of the perseverance of the saints. And this topic of uh, John Calvin and Calvinism and Reformed theology, they often use this acronym that maybe you've heard of called TULIP, like the flower, TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. And the, the T stands for total depravity. That's, that's, uh, we don't have any um, way to approach God. Uh, the U stands for something, unconditional election the L, limited atonement, the I, irresistible grace. And some of those are debated in the Christian world, but today, again, my emphasis is on this P, 
the perseverance of the saints, that once we are saved, we are sealed for heaven. Okay, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1 and why we get this theology that we do. Another emphasis that I want to point out. So in Ephesians chapter 1, where we were reading about adoption, if we go down in that chapter to verse 13, there's a really important word that I want to point out that we actually just sang in a song about being sealed and being marked. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture and one that I memorized early on in my Christian life. And we're reading in verses 13 and 14 in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. I know in the NIV, if that's what you're reading, this might be a little bit different, but I'll, I'll break it down for you. When it talks about this hearing, all of us get this chance um, to respond to God. We heard the message of the truth. You're probably here today because you're thinking about responding or you have responded to this truth and you've believed. And it says at that moment that when you believe and ask Christ into your life, that at that very moment, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and seals you for this inheritance of eternity, that you are sealed in, in the Holy Spirit. Now this word here, this Greek word that's for sealed, and maybe in your translation, they use the word marked. Um, what is it in NIV, if anybody has that open? Or is there a word about being sealed or marked? Do you have that? Marked? Okay. So back in this day, um, imagine you're watching like a really old movie, okay? And I'm talking like the 1500s or something, old movie. And they're, they're kind of giving this timepiece of like what that time was like as you watch this movie. And you see the king or these people in these big mansions and they're sending an ex, uh, a very important note or message or scroll to someone far away. Okay. Now, they didn't have UPS and postal systems back then. Um, you know how today we might notarize something? Um, you would go and someone would watch you sign something. You put this stamp on it so that you know it's notarized and it's authentic. Well, this word is referring to something like that. But back in their day, what would happen was, for example, the king would have this really important message. Let's say he's got this envelope. And he puts this message in the envelope and he seals the envelope. He maybe takes some candle wax and pours it over the seal to make sure it's safely sealed. And while that wax is still warm and it's still pliable, he takes this signet ring. He takes this ring that's personalized to him and he marks it into the wax he stamps it into the wax and he seals that so that when it gets there, they know the seal has not been broken 
And this is actually from the person who sent this message. This word sealed, it's like savazgo in Greek. This word about our salvation is referring to this king's mark stamped into the wax that this is God's stamp sealing us for this proper destination. So the Bible says at the very moment of salvation, your soul was sealed, marked and stamped by a holy God to be delivered to heaven safely. We have this inheritance waiting for us. We have this possession. We have this promise. Now these verses were all so super important to me because at the very beginning, I mentioned to you that I was going to go through this crisis of faith that I want to tell you about. And for many reasons, not good reasons, after college, when I was about 23 years old, I became very bitter, I became very apathetic, and I became very rebellious in my faith. I had been going to college and really involved in H2O, and I was uh, memorizing the Word and leading Bible studies, and I had this intimate relationship with God. But over this course of a few years, I just became very hardened and apathetic to the faith. I started to date this girl that I knew God didn't want me to be dating. And we became immoral in this relationship. And I was so convicted by my sin that I just literally had to physically move away from everybody that I knew and everybody that I loved. And truly like a prodigal son, I moved from Ohio to Texas. And while I was down there, I talked this girl into moving there with me. We eventually lived together for about nine months. I wasn't talking to my parents very much. I wasn't talking to my pastor. And even some of my closest friends that would call me and say, Matt, what is going on in your faith? I would not want to talk to them. And I remember one of my great friends from college, Jim Porman, I don't know how many of you know who Jim Porman is, but Jim Porman is uh, an H2O pastor in Orlando, Florida, at our H2O there. And many of you have gone down there a couple times to UCF to see that, that church. And Jim Porman, who's a, a pastor there, we were roommates in college for four years together. And I remember Jim calling me and say, man, I just don't know where your faith is anymore. I don't know what your standing with God is anymore. He was bold enough to lovingly challenge me. And man, that shook me because you know what? I didn't know my standing with God anymore. And I remember the Holy Spirit like whispering to me through those nine months, when are you coming back to the faith? And when are you going to come back to me? And I remember at the end of those nine months when I really broke and, um, and decided, like, I just cannot take this experience anymore. And I got to this point where I decided to just go and spend some time thinking about this. And I came to the realization, and I know that this was from God, I missed my relationship with Jesus so much that I couldn't bear it anymore. 
the relationship, the love, the family, the intimacy that I had with God was so sweet. And I had just deserted that, that like the prodigal son, I had to turn around and come back. And I went back to my apartment and I wept in front of this girl. And I said, I am so sorry. This is not who I am. This is not what I want to be. We need to break up. I'm going to move back to Ohio and I'm going to pursue God. And I remember her words. She said, you're an idiot. And I said, I am an idiot. I am so sorry for for what I've done. And I came back, and this is one of the first passages that I read in Psalm 32 that really reflected where I was in needing this place of repentance. In Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5, it says this, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Verse 3, when I kept silent about my sin, which I had been doing, my body wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. But I acknowledged my sin to thee, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin. When I read this passage, it just resonated with me so much. For those nine months, it was like this heaviness was upon me because the Holy Spirit dwelling in me did not jive with the sin that I was living. And this guilt and this weight that I was experiencing because I was in a place of rebellion and not wanting to repent. And it was like the summer heat. It was oppressive and it was hard because the Holy Spirit was not allowing me to live apart from Him. I went to a conference a couple weeks ago and the pastor said, the most miserable person in the world is not the non-Christian. The most miserable person in the world is the Christian living in rebellion. And I was like, wow, I experienced that. See, because when they're not walking with the Lord and the Holy Spirit isn't dwelling in them, they don't really think that much about it. The Holy Spirit isn't nagging them to walk with God. But the Christian that has experienced God and the Holy Spirit is living inside of them and yet they're still just running to sin and walking in sin and hiding it and trying to get away from the presence of God is miserable because the presence of God is in them. But when I acknowledged my sin to God, I started to experience what true forgiveness was. I went back to Ohio. I sat my parents down and told them everything and repented before them. I sat down all of my family. I sat down all of my old uh, friends that I lived with, including Jim Porman. I sat down with my pastor and everybody that was on staff, and I said, I want to confess to you what I've done in my experience. And when I dove back into the scriptures, I studied a lot of the things that we just talked about today because I thought, if I lost my salvation, I want to get saved again. But as I looked into the scriptures, I was sure 
that we don't lose our salvation. And I didn't need to get re-saved. I needed to repent. And you see, we can be saved, but be unrepentant. And when we repent, even though our standing stays the same that we're saved, we begin to experience the intimacy of God again. And that is what I missed so much. So as we enter into a time of prayer here in uh, communion and back into worship, I want to comfort you that we are in the hands of God when we ask Christ to come into our life. Nothing, even our own sin, will not snatch us out of his hand. But that does not, of course, give us this license to go live however we want, because if we don't live according to the Holy Spirit, it's a very hard life and it's a very depressing life because we don't get to enjoy the intimacy of God. So let's pray and thank him that we have this security in him. But let's also bring to mind if there's things that were like I was just living in unrepentant place that we would offer up those, those sins to him and confess them that the presence of God would be strong in our lives. God, we thank you for this time today to be able to dive into your words and understand our standing before you. Lord, if we're one of those people that are not yet Christians that are thinking that we're going to heaven because we're a good person, Lord, help us to understand your truth and your wonderful gift of salvation through Jesus. Lord, it's hard to believe that you want to give us such a gift that isn't earned, Lord, because we want to earn so much in our lives. But Lord, we pray that we would have the humility and the, the wisdom to accept that gift. And God, for those of us that know that we have sincerely asked you to come into our life and we believe, God, let there be such a great joy that you're our defender and no one will snatch us out of your hand. And we get this wonderful rest and this wonderful encouragement, Lord, of knowing that we're sealed and marked in you for eternity. And Lord, if there's sins that come to mind, Lord, as we experience communion today, Lord, help us to be quick to confess those sins to you and, and confess those to someone close to us that we trust. Lord, help us to have nothing in between us and you when it comes to the intimacy that you want. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, during these next couple songs, we're going to celebrate this amazing gift that we have in Christ through communion. Uh, the wafer at the top there, the first piece of plastic, represents his body broken for us. That, man, we can come and the curtain is torn and we can come into the presence of the Lord because he, his body was broken for us. And that, that juice represents his blood shed for us. And we just receive this gift, just like we eat it and we drink that in. We enjoy the fact that he just wants us to accept him and, and believe in him. If there's some things that you need to confess, just do that during these next couple songs. And again, enjoy the great love that he has for us. So during these next couple songs, whenever you're ready, you can go back there and get communion. Would you stand and worship with us?